With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. This is Lars. Thanks again for checking out my podcast. Enjoy your day and the show, and let's make America great again. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. There are not sides here. Mr. Go did not instigate this incident, and he was victimized here. So I'm not, you know, there's not sides here. Mr. Go, in in terms of what actually happened to 24 Hour Fitness, uh, I think is blameless. That is the judge in a case involving Andy No, and this is the Lars Larson Show. Now, Andy is joining me now. I have to say this. Uh, I've got a dog in the fight here because I think Andy No is a first-class journalist, and Andy has been coming on this show for years. He now has a national following. He writes at the Post Millennial, and he's also written the book Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, a book that was actually banned by bookstores run by liberals and wokies out there. Andy, it's good to have you back. Thanks for coming on to try to explain what happened in this case, because I I brought it up yesterday and suggested to people it doesn't sound like the rule of law still applies here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, you know, I I came um, to the trial really wanting to have confidence in the system, despite everything that you and I know through my reporting, through others' reportings. Um, but I went there. I I was uh, a witness as well as the victim in the case uh, that was being prosecuted by the Multnomah County District Attorney against an Antifa member named John Colin Hacker. Uh, as in the soundbite that you heard, uh, the judge said in the closing statements that I was blameless in the uh, what happened in May of 2019. Um, and however, and that I was a vic- that I was victimized that day. However, the judge said that 
the prosecution did not prove um, beyond a reasonable doubt that John Hacker committed third-degree robbery. Uh, the incident in, in question is I was working out at a gym in May 2019, so this is this was before the, the beating that most people know where I was hospitalized for the brain bleed. Um, Mr. Hacker admitted at trial yesterday, oh, uh, excuse me, on the 15th, that um, he had dumped liquid on me, confronted me, hit my phone out of my hand once I started recording him because he was exhibiting threatening behavior. Um, once I went to pick up my phone from the ground, he wrangled uh, forcefully the device from my hand and then shouted, I will effing break the phone and was proceeding to flee towards the exit when he was stopped by gym staff. I did get my phone back and the defense argued that because I got my phone back, that, that therefore um, this was not a intentional um, uh, robbery to, and to deny me of my uh, property. And people should know that uh, John Hacker, the man who was accused of assaulting you, stealing your phone, chose to have what's called a judge trial, where you don't have a jury that hears this assault, a sec- assault with the liquid, a second assault by knocking you know, the phone out of your hand, taking the phone and running for the door and only being stopped. A jury, I think, would have come to a different conclusion. But I think that's why Mr. Hacker and his attorneys chose a judge trial. The thing that bothers me about this, Andy, the guy doesn't deny that he assaulted you, doesn't deny that he took your phone. Uh, And I don't know whether he was asked on the stand by your attorneys what his intent was, but clearly he wasn't taking your phone, going to run around the block, block and bring it back to you. And I just wonder whether, as a conservative journalist, and that's what you are, uh, whether or not you think anybody these days who's conservative can get a fair shake from the justice system if a judge has a man right in front of him, hacker, who acknowledges that he assaulted somebody, acknowledges that he took the person's phone, and then says, yeah, but you're not guilty of any crime. Um, well, John Hacker or whoever is supporting him financially, I mean, he had multiple attorneys with him. Uh, and there were also several legal interns in there observing because I, I believe the case was unusual for a number of reasons, according to what the judge said. But you're right. Hacker does not. He admitted uh, to doing those things that you just said, um, which is consistent with what I said to the police at the time and what was witnessed also by the gym staff and what was captured on the video. Um, the defense of another uh, argued um, successfully to the judge that Hacker did not have the intention to permanently deny me and my property. And they argue that since I got my phone back, um, it wasn't a permanent denial, uh, yeah, a permanent taking or destruction of my property. Well, and what's crazy about this, Andy, you know, uh, Portland and Seattle are two of the car theft capitals of North America right now. But if you say, well, uh, yeah, I took the car, but but they got the car back. I only took it for a few hours. They don't say, well, you're not guilty of car theft then because you took the car. doesn't matter if you had it for 15 minutes or 15 days. You committed the crime. And, and, and this one just and the other thing is people should know. 
What did this man say motivated him to first pour a liquid on you? And you've had other caustic liquids poured on you. So being having water poured on you, but you didn't know it was water at the time, is something more serious than it might be for a lot of people who get hit with some kind of liquid and don't know what it is. But in this case, um, you know, he was attacking you because of your free speech, wasn't he? Yes, he actually detailed that he was furious and angry about my reporting on an Antifa event that he had a role in organizing. And that's why he chose to confront me at the gym first by dumping the liquid on my head. Um, so, yeah, this goes back to my reporting. Um, uh, Antifa hate it because it unmasks, well, one, who they are, and two, what their actions are. And during the trial, actually, there were a number of Antifa accounts and Antifa members in Portland who were threatening violence. Find Andy, this is the quote, find this mother effer right now. He's in the Monoma County Courthouse right now. Go get him. Put him six feet under. And one of the people who threatened me online um, showed up uh, as an observer and as a friend to John Hacker, the defendant, as well. And the, the scary thing that I want people to take home from this, Andy, you can find Andy Knows reporting, by the way, at the Post Millennial and elsewhere, and you hear him occasionally on this show, is that what this says is if you decide to report in a way that Antifa doesn't like, they can physically threaten you, they can knock you down, they can pour things on you, they can take your property, and they can get away with it because the justice system will not hold them to account. That basically says there is no more free speech, at least in the state of Oregon or the city of Portland or Multnomah County, because the justice system will not act against people who are deliberately trying to steal the civil rights, meaning free speech rights, of Americans. Andy No is the author most recently of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. When we get back, I'll get to your phone calls and your emails. And I want to talk about the latest charge. Republicans say they're going to go after Hunter Biden, and they're going to go after the big guy as well, and that would be Joe Biden. And they say they have rock-solid proof that Joe Biden, the big guy, was getting millions of dollars because of his son's sleazy deals in China, and that puts America at risk. I'll get into the details of it in just a moment. We want to know what the Biden administration is trying to hide from the American people and why they are not being transparent. That is Kentucky Representative James Comer, and this is the Lars Larson Show. Glad to be with you, and I'll be glad to get to your calls. But let me tell you what Comer is talking about. Now that Republicans are anticipating being in the majority in the House of Representatives, they can actually do some investigations. You see, when the Democrats held the majority until Nancy Pelosi announced that she's stepping down, when the Democrats ran the majority, they didn't want to do oversight of government. And the last thing they wanted to look at was Hunter Biden and his connection to sleazy business deals in Ukraine, in Moscow, and in Beijing. But James Comer, Republican representative from the great state of Kentucky, says they are going to go after this, and especially because Joe Biden, currently the president of the United States, has always denied knowing anything. I mean, we've run sound bites a number of times with Joe Biden saying why I didn't have any idea about the first thing about my son's business dealings. Biden denied it over and over again. Listen to Comer from today. Whistleblowers describe President Biden as chairman of the board for these businesses. He personally participated in meetings and phone calls. 
Documents show that he was a partner with access to an office. To be clear, Joe Biden is the big guy. And why is that significant today? I know that some of you are going to say, well, you just don't like Joe Biden. I don't like the job he's doing as president. I don't like the damage he's doing to a country I'm very proud of. But I especially don't like the fact that the guy lies about the business dealings of his son that have apparently brought millions, if not tens of millions of dollars into the Biden crime family, a business that, as James Comer says, Joe Biden was directly involved in. He personally participated in meetings and phone calls. Documents show that he was a partner with access to an office. To be clear, Joe Biden is the big guy. This evidence raises troubling questions about whether Joe President Biden, Biden is, is a national guy. security risk and about whether he is compromised by foreign governments. Despite the president's claim that he wasn't involved in Biden family business schemes, these photos show Joe Biden meeting with his family associates while vice president. Now, you've you got to take one or the other. Joe Biden either knew absolutely nothing about his son's business dealings, which is impossible to believe. You'd have to believe that when Joe Biden was vice president and he went to visit China, he went on Air Force Two, which is what they call that big plane when the president is not on it and the vice president is on it, that Hunter Biden rode with him. So a trip that's 12 or 14 or 16 hours long, they flew all the way to China. And then his son sewed up a business deal that brought over a billion dollars into his hedge fund from Chinese investors tied to the communist Chinese government. And then he got back on the plane with dad, dear old dad, uh, who calls his kid the smartest man I know. And he didn't say, by the way, dad, I think I just sewed up a deal to get a billion dollar investment from the folks in China who are impressed that I came over on the plane with you. No, Comer says they've got proof of what Joe Biden was doing, and Joe Biden is compromised by it. Take a listen. Despite the president's claim that he wasn't involved in Biden family business schemes, these photos show Joe Biden meeting with his family associates while vice president. Like Four different pictures. Committee Republicans have identified over 50 countries the Biden family sought businesses in. On the international side of the Biden family business, the deals were often led by Hunter Biden. And that map there behind Clay shows all the countries where the Bidens had a footprint in international business dealings. Now, why does that matter today? Let me tell you why it matters today. Because we have a president who has sold out to communist China. He is sold out because of the millions of dollars that his son, the Biden crime family, and the big guy, Joe Biden, received. And finally, at long last, Republicans are going to dig to the bottom of this. And what does the White House say? They say, well, President Biden is not going to let these political attacks distract him from focusing on American priorities. And we hope congressional Republicans will join us in tackling them instead of wasting time and resources on political revenge. This isn't about political revenge. For instance, Joe Biden went to communist or or met with the the head of the communist Chinese this week, the president for life, uh, Chairman Xi. And what did he do? Did he bring up COVID? Nope. Did he bring up fentanyl coming into our country originating from China? Nope. Did he bring up any of those major issues? No. Joe Biden is not focused on anything at this point. 
Now, at this point, I want to take some phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Keith. Hey, Keith, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And I understand you had some questions because I've told people we're coming up on the anniversary, I think the 52nd anniversary, um, no, 50, 50, yeah, 51st anniversary of the D.B. Cooper skyjacking back in 1971. And I said, I know who D.B. Cooper was. He was Richard McCoy of Provo, Utah. And he was convicted of a second skyjacking uh, that happened about six months later. And he got away with the money both times for a time. And in the end, he was sent off to federal prison where he escaped and then began robbing banks and died in a shootout with the FBI. But you had some additional questions. What were they? Well, yeah, I was just curious. You know, you'd, you'd mentioned that he apparently went to Vegas and blew the money or tried laundering it or whatever. But I was trying to figure out in your timeline, I didn't see how you figure the money that was found in the Columbia River got there. Okay, I can tell you what happened. So McCoy, let's just call him McCoy, because McCoy did both of the skyjackings, even though the FBI blew the case. When he got to Seattle, he said, give me $200,000 in a gym bag. And the FBI gave him a gym bag, but they had cut the zipper out of the gym bag, so it didn't seal. So what he did was he made a makeshift bag out of some of the parachute silk and the shroud lines, because he asked for four parachutes as well. So he jimmies up this bag, he ties it around his waist, but as the, as the flight attendants, then called stewardesses, were getting off the plane, he offered them some packets of money. And when they turned it down, they should have taken it because his fingerprints were on it, but they turned it down, he tucked it back inside his flight suit. He probably got away with ten to twelve thousand dollars at the end of the day. The other hundred and eighty-five or ninety thousand dollars he lost because that bag came came away from him as he was uh, parachuting down. When he showed up to do the McCoy, the actual Richard McCoy skyjack, the second one six months later, around the uh, Easter break, because he he did these skyjackings on breaks where his presence at college would not have been missed. He brought with him a, a big duffel bag and what's called an H harness, which you wear, and, and, and carabiners to hook the, you know, the bag onto the harness so he wouldn't lose it. He improved on the D.B. Cooper Skyjack with a number of improvements that were detailed in a book that was written about it decades ago. So he made it to the ground with maybe ten or $12,000. The reason I said he cleaned it up in Vegas, if you walked into Vegas and bought $5,000 worth of chips, even in 1971, you wouldn't have drawn anybody's attention. There are whales that spend a whole lot more than that in Vegas. So you, you know, buy some chips, go play cards for a while, cash in your chips, and you have money that's no longer connected to a skyjacking. When he did the second skyjacking, he also did it out of Las Vegas. He skyjacked a plane on its way to San Francisco, uh, he bailed out of that plane. He asked for 500000 that time, and he made it all the way to the ground, stashed the money, sneaked past the police lines, uh, got home, got his car and his wife, went back, retrieved the bag, and he was okay. Except that a friend of his, who is a cop, he started to smell a rat. And he said, I think my buddy, Richard McCoy, is actually the skyjacker. He turned the FBI onto it, and they caught him, and they convicted him, and he went to prison. And then he escaped and began robbing banks and died in a shootout. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Pleasure to take your phone calls, and I'll get to calls here in just a moment. But I want to talk to our friend Adam Angievsky, who is the CEO and founder of a group called Open the Books. You can find him at OpenTheBooks.com and a columnist at Forbes Online. Adam, good to have you back. Great to be on the program, Lars. Thank you. Let me... Let me start with a, just a good general overall question. Are U.S. taxpayers actually helping to fund China's military? 
Well, on a lot of levels. So if you go through a couple different points, one is on first-round paycheck protection program loans. Those were the loans designed to go to mom-and-pop businesses on Main Street, those men and women whose businesses got shut down during the economic lockdown. Well, a report found that 125 domestic firms, mostly engaged in the military-industrial complex, but owned by the Chinese Communist Party, soaked up $400 million on round one of those PPP loans. So, (laughs) Lars, it was PPP for the CCP. (laughs) I know you've been waiting all day to say that. This is crazy. (laughs) And I want people, if you want to see the actual numbers, because one of the things I admire most about Adam and Open the Books is that they're using actual public documents or documents they pry loose from government agencies to actually back up every single thing he says. I want to know more, though, about what happened uh, at Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico. What, what's going yep. on there that you found? They're building the Chinese Stanford. It's called SusTech. And basically what they've done is they've taken the top talent. They targeted Los Alamos, our, uh, our laboratory, um, and they brought some of the top scientists at that laboratory back to China. They repatriated them, and they're now leading the... Chinese military effort in many areas, but I just want to walk through some of them in, in hypersonics. Oh, by, by, by the way, before, before you start that, let, Adam, let's tell people Los Alamos National Labs. I've I've gone through them as a tourist, but this is where the original nuclear bomb designs were come up with, uh, as you said, more high technology weapons. This is a major U.S. government facility. It's a very high-tech and very high-security facility, and we've invited Chinese scientists to work in there, and then we let them go right back to China with everything they learn? Yeah, and it's a little worse than that. So not only, you know, the Chinese scientists come over here, we educate them, we train them, we give them the keys and top-secret clearance as they work on the most sophisticated pieces of weaponry in our country, in our military, right, in the most sophisticated labs like you've described, we fund them with tens of millions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer-provided grants so they can carry out their research in our labs, and then we let them go back to China where they spearhead the upgrade across the board of Chinese military capabilities. Is there any limitation uh, placed on these scientists that when, when we say we will let you work in these high-sensitivity jobs, um, on, on what information they're able to take away from that job? And then, take I mean, even in the private sector, even in uh, fast food, they have non-competes because you don't want to train somebody in how you do it in your business and then have them go down the road and sell the secrets of your business to your competition. Except this isn't fast food. This is, this is a country that wants to supplant the United States as the most powerful military on the globe. So we're letting them learn all the things that they learn in our lab and then letting them take all the knowledge and the skills and maybe even some of the data with them back to communist China? Absolutely. It's been going on. It's been going on for 20 years. So here's what's mystifying. So just recently, a company called Strider Technologies, they actually connected all the dots. They came out with this report. And 162 scientists trained at Los Alamos, they call it the Los Alamos Club, are now back in China, helping China lead their efforts. And so the former director of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center told NBC News, quote, no one can say this is not a threat to our national security. 
U.S. is giving our enemies the ability to use weapons against us. We educate them, we train them, we fund them, we give them top-secret clearance, and then they go back to China with their knowledge to build the CCP's military. I'm talking to Adam Andrzejewski, who's the CEO and the founder of OpenTheBooks.com. You can check it out yourself if you don't believe it. He also writes a column at Forbes. So, Adam, this is great data to have. Is there any sensible way that we could put a, a set of limits on people being able to come into our country, go to our universities, work in high-tech businesses that are military-related especially, and then turn around and simply leave with all that specialized expertise? So there has to be a way. Congress has to hold hearings. We have a new Congress. They've got the Republicans in the House have got to hold hearings. They're the ones where all appropriations, all of this funding, it originates from the House in the appropriations bills. They have to make this a big issue. And so I think it starts there. The other thing that has to be done is I think you've got to look at who's getting the security clearances. You know, where do they come from, who they are, and what they're going to do with the information after they're done. And so that that has to be a top national priority. I mean, because most of these people, uh, Adam, I don't know of too many Americans who would say, I really look forward to the day that I can emigrate to China. They, they, They don't want to go there. And you would think most of the people who emigrate to the United States emigrate here because they don't like the conditions back in their home country or they like it better here. So you expect that most people who'd come here and, and get schooling and then find a job would say, yeah, I want to stay in America. I don't want to go to China. I don't want to go back to Russia. I don't want to go back to you know any of the other countries like that. I want the freedom and the liberties I get here. But if they come here with a plan that I'm going to do all these things and then go back to the country uh, who, who, who actually has my loyalty, in this case, Chinese nationals who want to go back to China and take all of that back, I don't know how you could how you could set limits that would say you're not allowed to do this unless you said, if you work at Los Alamos, you can't leave the country for, say, five years after you leave the labs or some period of time that would cause the... In- I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos. And then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Information to age. Uh, and I'm not sure even that would be adequate. So China's been running a talent uh, a Chinese talent initiative to leverage the overseas institutions like in America to train and recruit their talent. It's a low-cost way to make a huge leap for your own nation. You let America train your people, and you, then you have them back, and they're, they're ready to go. It's, they, they're building what they call a global hub-and-spoke talent network, and it started all the way back in 1978. So look, Lars, we're way behind the game right now. You know, you've got, you know, this initiative 
you know, uh, was started to bring tens of thousands of Chinese, send them abroad rather than only a handful. They wanted to, to open up their entire country, send their best talent over here, have us educate them, and then bring them back. And that's how the, you know, that, that was the smart strategy that the Chinese have run. But now they've, they've upgraded the strategy and they're target, targeting our most sophisticated national labs. Well, if you want to see the actual documents, if you want to see the actual numbers, it's at OpenTheBooks.com. You can also read Adam Andrzejewski's columns that he writes for Forbes. Adam, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Lars, thank you. Unbelievable. Now, tell me this. If you're an American taxpayer and you say, we want to have the best of the best in terms of talent when it comes to making the kinds of uh, technology that will help protect this country... Do you want to see China just openly ripping us off? And all they've got to do is send somebody over, say, America will educate them. America will give them a paycheck. America will show them the keys to the secret labs. And then when they've got as much stored up as they want to have, then they'll just turn around and come back and China will be greater and America will be lesser. If that makes sense to any of you, I'd love to hear the naysayer call. Glad to get those calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get to your calls here in just a moment. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Now, I know that I get lots and lots of calls from people who say, well, you know, th there may be a little bit of voter fraud here and there, but it's really kind of inconsequential. Let me tell you about a case just from this week. The brand new uh, governor-elect of Pennsylvania, he is currently the attorney general. His name is Josh Shapiro. He has just brought forgery charges against a Democrat campaign consultant by the name of Rasheen Cruz. And what Cruz did, and he did it in 2019, was he faked signatures from about 1,000 registered voters. Here's why. In that state, in the state of Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, uh, to get on the ballot uh, to, as a candidate, you have to get the signatures of 1,000 registered voters. Now, if you're running for office, that should be relatively easy. If you're hoping to get a majority of the votes on Election Day, getting a 1,000 people over the course of a few weeks to sign a petition saying you ought to be on the ballot, that shouldn't be hard at all. But there's always a cheat to get around it if you don't want to do that kind of work. So now Josh Shapiro has brought charges against Rasheen Cruz because what he would do is when candidates would come to Rasheen Cruz, this is the case against him, and they'd say, I have to get a 1,000 signatures on a ballot or 1,000 signatures on a petition to be able to get my name on the ballot. Cruz would gather up people in a hotel room to make the fake signatures. And apparently it worked for some time. And as Shapiro puts it, this arrest is an important reminder that interfering with the integrity of elections is a serious crime by soliciting and organizing the wide-scale forgery of signatures. The defendant undermined the democratic process, and Philadelphians have a right to a free and fair election. Okay, fine. So why is it that when the rest of us bring up issues like this? I mean, Shapiro is a Democrat, and Shapiro is the current attorney general of the state, and he just won election as governor of the state. Democrats will tell you all day long and twice on Sunday, oh, there's no voter fraud, or at least nothing on a significant scale. This guy was putting 
thousands of signatures on petitions to get people falsely on the ballot to run for office who were not qualified. If your state says to be able to get your name on an election ballot, you need to be able to get a thousand signatures. As I said, should be a fairly small order for you to go out and stand on a street corner or go to a shopping mall or stand outside of a church and gather signatures. Hey, I would like to run for office. Will you sign my petition? Get a thousand signatures. How hard could it be? No, no, there's a way to cheat around it. Now, the second thing I want to bring up is entirely different. As you may know, the elements in your catalytic converter on your car are worth a lot of money. There are some rare materials in there, and catalytic converters are not cheap. They can cost even a few thousand dollars for a catalytic converter. So thieves have been running around with a sawzall, crawl under your car, and in literally less than a couple of minutes saw off that catalytic converter. Then they go to sell it thing is, catalytic converters, most of them, do not have any kind of serial number on them. Now, should they have a serial number? Yeah, sure. It sounds like a good idea. Will putting a serial number on something prevent the thieves from trying to steal it? I don't think so. I mean, cars have a VIN number on them, and cars are so stolen by the tens of thousands in America. But the latest bright idea, and it comes from a couple of different members of Congress, including Senator Ron Wyden, is they're going to solve the catalytic converter problem, the theft problem, uh, by requiring that there be a serial number on all the catalytic converters. Now, even assuming that they get this through on Capitol Hill, when it takes effect, let's say it takes effect next year. And all the car companies and the companies that make catalytic converters have to start putting a serial number on the catalytic converter. So sometime in the future, you know, the average car in America is 13 years old. That means there are a lot of cars on the road that are 20 years old. And those that have catalytic converters, there are no serial number on them. And then you ask yourself this, how much is that going to get in the way? And yet, Senator Wyden says the theft of catalytic converters hurts the pocketbooks of working families. He's absolutely right. He says by strengthening local law enforcement's ability to locate stolen car parts, we'll be one step closer in the fight to end catalytic converter theft. Why? Because in the next year or two or three, all new catalytic converters will have a serial number on them, and that's going to slow the thieves down? As I said, I don't think so. To your calls, let's go first to Sean. Hey, Sean, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, I was sitting on a couple points you had earlier with that union rep and uh, Colorado lowering the taxes. Um, she might, uh, hopefully she's listening. Uh, it doesn't matter how much more money you get for most most likely millennials and uh, uh, Gen Z. Um, until, uh, until we get our... Uh, so we get the politicians out of our pockets. It's, it's never going to fix itself. I, uh, I was, I was kind of wondering because I heard Bill London say something about the new tax in Oregon coming up in January. On, uh, it's basically what I heard was a one percent annual fee for taxpayers to pay for the uh, for the. I'm not sure which tax that is, but I'll tell you what. I'll send Bill London, who's a friend of mine, I'll send him a note, and I'll find out which tax he was talking about. The fact is, Americans would love to have a flat tax. Get rid of this complicated system. Get rid of 90,000 pages of IRS regulations and just have everybody pay the same amount so everyone has skin in the game. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? 
The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. There are not sides here. Mr. Go did not instigate this incident, and he was victimized here. So I'm not, you know, there's not sides here. Mr. Go, in, in terms of what actually happened to 24-Hour Fitness, uh, I think is blameless. That is the judge in a case involving Andy No, and this is the Lars Larson Show. Now, Andy is joining me now. I have to say this. Uh, I've got a dog in the fight here because I think Andy No is a first-class journalist, and Andy has been coming on this show for years. He now has a national following. He writes at the Post Millennial, and he's also written the book Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy, a book that was actually banned by bookstores run by liberals and wokies out there. Andy, it's good to have you back. Thanks for coming on to try to explain what happened in this case, because I, I brought it up yesterday and suggested to people it doesn't sound like the rule of law still applies here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, you know, I I came um, to the trial really wanting to have confidence in the system, despite everything that you and I know through my reporting, through others' reportings. Um, but I went there. I I was uh, a witness as well as the victim in the case uh, that was being prosecuted by the Monoma County District Attorney against an Antifa member named John Colin Hacker. Uh, as in the soundbite that you heard, uh, the judge said in the closing statements that I was blameless in the uh, what happened in May of 2019. Um, and however, and that I was a vic- that I was victimized that day. However, the judge said that the prosecution did not prove um, beyond a reasonable doubt that John Hacker committed third degree robbery. Uh, the incident in, in question is I was working out at a gym in May 2019. So this is this is before the the beating that most people know where I was hospitalized for the brain bleed. Um, Mr. Hacker admitted at trial yesterday, uh, excuse me, on the 15th, that um, he had dumped liquid on me, confronted me, hit my phone out of my hand once I started recording him because he was exhibiting threatening behavior. Um, Once I went to pick up my phone from the ground, he wrangled uh, forcefully the device from my hand. And then shouted, I will effing break the phone, and was proceeding to flee towards the exit when he was stopped by gym staff. I did get my phone back, and the defense argued that because I got my phone back, that that therefore um, this was not a intentional um, uh, robbery to and to deny me of my uh, property. 
And people should know that uh, John Hacker, the man who was accused of assaulting you, stealing your phone, chose to have what's called a judge trial, where you don't have a jury that hears this assault, a sec- assault with the liquid, a second assault by knocking you know, the phone out of your hand, taking the phone and running for the door and only being stopped. A jury, I think, would have come to a different conclusion. But I think that's why Mr. Hacker and his attorneys chose a judge trial. The thing that bothers me about this, Andy, the guy doesn't deny that he assaulted you, doesn't deny that he took your phone. Uh, And I don't know whether he was asked on the stand by your attorneys what his intent was, but clearly he wasn't taking your phone, going to run around the block, block and bring it back to you. And I just wonder whether, as a conservative journalist, and that's what you are, uh, whether or not you think anybody these days who's conservative can get a fair shake from the justice system if a judge has a man right in front of him, hacker, who acknowledges that he assaulted somebody, acknowledges that he took the person's phone, and then says, yeah, but you're not guilty of any crime. Um, well, John Hacker, or whoever is supporting him financially, I mean, he had multiple attorneys with him, uh, and there were also several legal interns in there observing, because I, I believe the case was unusual for a number of reasons, according to what the judge said. But you're right, Hacker does not, he admitted uh, to doing those things that you just said, um, which is consistent with what I said to the police at the time and what was witnessed also by the gym staff and what was captured on the video. Um, The defense of Anova argued um, successfully to the judge that Hacker did not have the intention to permanently deny me and my property and they argue that since i got my phone back um it wasn't a permanent denial uh yeah a permanent taking or destruction of my property well and what's crazy about this andy you know uh, portland and seattle are two of the car theft capitals of north america right now but if you say well uh, yeah i took the car but but they got the car back i only took it for a few hours they don't say, well, you're not guilty of car theft then because you took the car. doesn't matter if you had it for 15 minutes or 15 days. You committed the crime. And, and, and this one just and the other thing is people should know what did this man say motivated him to first pour a liquid on you? And you've had other caustic liquids poured on you. So being having water poured on you, but you didn't know it was water at the time is something more serious than it might be for a lot of people who get hit with some kind of liquid and don't know what it is. But in this case, um, you know, he was attacking you because of your free speech, wasn't he? Yes, he actually detailed that he was furious and angry about my reporting on an answer event that, that he had a role in organizing. And that's why he chose to confront me at the gym first by dumping the liquid on my head. Um, so, yeah, this goes back to my reporting. Um, uh, Antifa hate it because it unmasks, well, one, who they are, and two, what their actions are. And during the trial, actually, there were a number of Antifa accounts and Antifa members in Portland who were threatening violence. Find Andy, this is the quote, find this mother effer right now. He's in the Monoma County Courthouse right now. Go get him. Put him six feet under. And one of the people who threatened me online um, showed up uh, as an observer and as a friend to John Hacker, the defendant, as well. 
And the, the scary thing that I want people to take home from this, Andy, you can find Andy Knows reporting, by the way, at the Post Millennial and elsewhere, and you hear him occasionally on this show, is that what this says is if you decide to report in a way that Antifa doesn't like, they can physically threaten you, they can knock you down, they can pour things on you, they can take your property, and they can get away with it because the justice system will not hold them to account. That basically says there is no more free speech, at least in the state of Oregon or the city of Portland or Multnomah County, because the justice system will not act against people who are deliberately trying to steal the civil rights, meaning free speech rights, of Americans. Andy No is the author most recently of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Andy, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. When we get back, I'll get to your phone calls and your emails. And I want to talk about the latest charge. Republicans say they're going to go after Hunter Biden, and they're going to go after the big guy as well, and that would be Joe Biden. And they say they have rock-solid proof that Joe Biden, the big guy, was getting millions of dollars because of his son's sleazy deals in China, and that puts America at risk. I'll get into the details of it in just a moment. We want to know what the Biden administration is trying to hide from the American people and why they are not being transparent. That is Kentucky Representative James Comer, and this is the Lars Larson Show. Glad to be with you, and I'll be glad to get to your calls. But let me tell you what Comer is talking about. Now that Republicans are anticipating being in the majority in the House of Representatives, they can actually do some investigations. You see, when the Democrats held the majority until Nancy Pelosi announced that she's stepping down, when the Democrats ran the majority, they didn't want to do oversight of government. And the last thing they wanted to look at was Hunter Biden and his connection to sleazy business deals in Ukraine, in Moscow, and in Beijing. But James Comer, Republican representative from the great state of Kentucky, says they are going to go after this. And especially because Joe Biden, currently the president of the United States, has always denied knowing anything. I mean, we've run sound bites a number of times with Joe Biden saying why I didn't have any idea about the first thing about my son's business dealings. Biden denied it over and over again. Listen to Comer from today. Whistleblowers describe President Biden as chairman of the board for these businesses. He personally participated in meetings and phone calls. Documents show that he was a partner with access to an office. To be clear. Joe Biden is the big guy. And why is that significant today? I know that some of you are going to say, well, you just don't like Joe Biden. I don't like the job he's doing as president. I don't like the damage he's doing to a country I'm very proud of. But I especially don't like the fact that the guy lies about the business dealings of his son that have apparently brought millions, if not tens of millions of dollars, into the Biden crime family, a business that, as James Comer says, Joe Biden was directly involved in. He personally participated in meetings and phone calls. Documents show that he was a partner with access to an office. To be clear, Joe Biden is the big guy. This evidence raises troubling questions about whether Joe President Biden, Biden is, is a national guy. security risk and about guy. whether he is compromised by foreign governments. Despite the president's claim that he wasn't involved in Biden family business schemes, these photos show Joe Biden meeting with his family associates while vice president. Now, you've you got to take one or the other. 
Joe Biden either knew absolutely nothing about his son's business dealings, which is impossible to believe. You'd have to believe that when Joe Biden was vice president and he went to visit China, he went on Air Force Two, which is what they call that big plane when the president is not on it and the vice president is on it, that Hunter Biden rode with him. So a trip that's 12 or 14 or 16 hours long, they flew all the way to China. And then his son sewed up a business deal that brought over a billion dollars into his hedge fund from Chinese investors tied to the communist Chinese government. And then he got back on the plane with dad, dear old dad, uh, who calls his kid the smartest man I know. And he didn't say, by the way, dad, I think I just sewed up a deal to get a billion dollar investment from the folks in China who are impressed that I came over on the plane with you. No, Comer says they've got proof of what Joe Biden was doing, and Joe Biden is compromised by it. Take a listen. Despite the president's claim that he wasn't involved in Biden family business schemes, these photos show Joe Biden meeting with his family associates while vice president. Like Four different pictures. Committee Republicans have identified over 50 countries the Biden family sought businesses in. On the international side of the Biden family business, the deals were often led by Hunter Biden. And that map there behind Clay shows all the countries where the Bidens had a footprint in international business dealings. Now, why does that matter today? Let me tell you why it matters today. Because we have a president who has sold out to communist China. He is sold out because of the millions of dollars that his son, the Biden crime family, and the big guy, Joe Biden, received. And finally, at long last, Republicans are going to dig to the bottom of this. And what does the White House say? They say, well, President Biden is not going to let these political attacks distract him from focusing on American priorities. And we hope congressional Republicans will join us in tackling them instead of wasting time and resources on political revenge. This isn't about political revenge. For instance, Joe Biden went to communist or, or met with the, the head of the communist Chinese this week, the president for life, uh, Chairman Xi. And what did he do? Did he bring up COVID? Nope. Did he bring up fentanyl coming into our country originating from China? Nope. Did he bring up any of those major issues? No. Joe Biden is not focused on anything at this point. Now, at this point, I want to take some phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Keith. Hey, Keith, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And I understand you had some questions because I've told people we're coming up on the anniversary, I think the 52nd anniversary, um, no, 50, 50, yeah, 51st anniversary of the D.B. Cooper skyjacking back in 1971. And I said, I know who D.B. Cooper was. He was Richard McCoy of Provo, Utah. And he was convicted of a second skyjacking uh, that happened about six months later. And he got away with the money both times for a time. And in the end, he was sent off to federal prison where he escaped and then began robbing banks and died in a shootout with the FBI. But you had some additional questions. What were they? Well, yeah, I was just curious. You know, you'd, you'd mentioned that he apparently went to Vegas and blew the money or tried laundering it or whatever. But I was trying to figure out in your timeline, I didn't see how you figure the money that was found in the Columbia River got there. Okay, I can tell you what happened. So McCoy, let's just call him McCoy, because McCoy did both of the skyjackings, even though the FBI blew the case. When he got to Seattle, he said, give me $200,000 in a gym bag. And the FBI gave him a gym bag, but they had cut the zipper out of the gym bag, so it didn't seal. So what he did was he made a makeshift bag out of some of the parachute silk and the shroud lines, because he asked for four parachutes as well. So he jimmies up this bag, he ties it around his waist, 
But as the, as the flight attendants then called stewardesses were getting off the plane, he offered them some packets of money. And when they turned it down, they should have taken it because his fingerprints were on it, but they turned it down. He tucked it back inside his flight suit. He probably got away with ten to $12,000 at the end of the day. The other one hundred and eighty five or $90,000 he lost because that bag came, came away from him as he was uh, parachuting down. When he showed up to do the McCoy... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Boy, the actual Richard McCoy skyjacked the second one six months later around the uh, Easter break because he, he did these skyjackings on breaks where his presence at college would not have been missed. He brought with him a, a big duffel bag and what's called an H harness, which you wear, and, and, and carabiners to hook the, you know, the bag onto the harness so he wouldn't lose it. He improved on the D.B. Cooper Skyjack with a number of improvements that were detailed in a book that was written about it decades ago. So he made it to the ground with maybe ten or $12,000. The reason I said he cleaned it up in Vegas, if you walked into Vegas and bought $5,000 worth of chips, even in 1971, you wouldn't have drawn anybody's attention. There are whales that spend a whole lot more than that in Vegas. So you, you know, buy some chips, go play cards for a while, cash in your chips, and you have money that's no longer connected to a skyjacking. When he did the second skyjacking, he also did it out of Las Vegas. He skyjacked a plane on its way to San Francisco. Uh, he bailed out of that plane. He asked for 500000 that time, and he made it all the way to the ground, stashed the money, sneaked past the police lines, uh, got home, got his car and his wife, went back, retrieved the bag, and he was okay. Except that a friend of his, who is a cop, he started to smell a rat. And he said, I think my buddy, Richard McCoy, is actually the skyjacker. He turned the FBI onto it, and they caught him, and they convicted him, and he went to prison, and then he escaped and began robbing banks and died in a shootout. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Pleasure to take your phone calls, and I'll get to calls here in just a moment. But I want to talk to our friend Adam Angievsky, who is the CEO and founder of a group called Open the Books. You can find him at OpenTheBooks.com and a columnist at Forbes Online. Adam, good to have you back. Great to be on the program, Lars. Thank you. Let me let me start with a, just a good general overall question. Are U.S. taxpayers actually helping to fund China's military? Well, on a lot of levels. So if you go through a couple different points, one is on first-round paycheck protection program loans. Those were the loans designed to go to mom-and-pop businesses on Main Street, those men and women whose businesses got shut down during the economic lockdown. Well, a report found that 125 domestic firms, mostly engaged in the military-industrial complex, but owned by the Chinese Communist Party, soaked up 
$400 million on round one of those PPP loans. So, <laughs> Lars, it was PPP for the CCP. <laughs> I know you've been waiting all day to say that. This is crazy. And I want people, if you want to see the actual numbers, because one of the things I admire most about Adam and Open the Books is that they're using actual public documents or documents they pry loose from government agencies to actually back up every single thing he says. I want to know more, though, about what happened uh, at Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico. What, what's going yep. on there that you found? They're building the Chinese Stanford it's called SusTech, and basically what they've done is they've taken the top talent, they targeted Los Alamos, our, uh, our laboratory, um, and they brought some of the top scientists at that laboratory back to China. They repatriated them, and they're now leading the Chinese military effort in many areas. But I just want to walk through some of them in, in hypersonics. Oh, in by, by, by the way, before, before you start that, let Adam, let's tell people Los Alamos National Labs. I've I've gone through them as a tourist, but this is where the original nuclear bomb designs were come up with. Uh, as you said, more high technology weapons. This is a major U.S. government facility. It's a very high tech and very high security facility, and we've invited Chinese scientists to work in there, and then we let them go right back to China with everything they learn. Yeah, and it's a little worse than that. So not only, you know, the Chinese scientists come over here, we educate them, we train them, we give them the keys and top secret clearance as they work on the most sophisticated pieces of weaponry in our country, in our military, right, in the most sophisticated labs like you've described. We fund them with tens of millions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer-provided grants so they can carry out their research in our labs, and then we let them go back to China where they spearhead the upgrade across the board of Chinese military capabilities. Is there any limitation uh, placed on these scientists that when, when we say we will let you work in these high-sensitivity jobs, um, on, on what information they're able to take away from that job? And then, take I mean, even in the private sector, even in uh, fast food, they have non-competes because you don't want to train somebody in how you do it in your business and then have them go down the road and sell the secrets of your business to your competition. Except this isn't fast food. This is, this is a country that wants to supplant the United States as the most powerful military on the globe. So we're letting them learn all the things that they learn in our lab and then letting them take all the knowledge and the skills and maybe even some of the data with them back to communist China? Absolutely. It's been going on. It's been going on for 20 years. So here's what's mystifying. So just recently, a company called Strider Technologies, they actually connected all the dots. They came out with this report. And 162 scientists trained at Los Alamos, they call it the Los Alamos Club, are now back in China, helping China lead their efforts. And so the former director of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center told NBC News, quote, no one can say this is not a threat to our national security. U.S. is giving our enemies the ability to use weapons against us. We educate them, we train them, we fund them, we give them top secret clearance, and then they go back to China with their knowledge to build the CCP's military. I'm talking to Adam Angievsky, who's the CEO and the founder of OpenTheBooks.com. You can check it out yourself if you don't believe it. He also writes a column at Forbes. So, Adam, this is great data to have. Is there any sensible way that we could put a, a set of limits 
on people being able to come into our country, go to our universities, work in high-tech businesses that are military-related especially, and then turn around and simply leave with all that specialized expertise. So there has to be a way. Congress has to hold hearings. We have a new Congress. They've got the Republicans in the House have got to hold hearings. They're the ones where all appropriations, all of this funding, it originates from the House in the appropriations bills. They have to make this a big issue. And so I think it starts there. The other thing that has to be done is I think you've got to look at who's getting the security clearances. You know, where do they come from, who they are and what they're going to do with the information after they're done. And so that that has to be a top national priority. I mean, because most of these people, uh, Adam, I don't know of too many Americans who would say, I really look forward to the day that I can emigrate to China. They, they, They don't want to go there. And you would think most of the people who emigrate to the United States emigrate here because they don't like the conditions back in their home country or they like it better here. So you expect that most people who'd come here and and get schooling and then find a job would say, yeah, I want to stay in America. I don't want to go to China. I don't want to go back to Russia. I don't want to go back to, you know, any of the other countries like that. I want the freedom and the liberties I get here. But if they come here with a plan that I'm going to do all these things and then go back to the country uh, who, who, who actually has my loyalty, in this case, Chinese nationals who want to go back to China and take all of that back, I don't know how you could how you could set limits that would say you're not allowed to do this unless you said, if you work at Los Alamos, you can't leave the country for, say, five years after you leave the labs or some period of time that would cause the information to age. Uh, and I'm not sure even that would be adequate. So China's been running a talent a Chinese talent initiative to leverage the overseas institutions like in America to train and recruit their talent. It's a low-cost way to make a huge leap for your own nation. You let America train your people and you then you have them back and they're they're ready to go. It's they they're building what they call a global hub and spoke talent network. And it started all the way back in 1978. So look, Lars, we're way behind the game right now. You know, you've got, you know, this initiative, you know, uh, was started to bring tens of thousands of Chinese, send them abroad rather than only a handful. They wanted to, to open up their entire country, send their best talent over here, have us educate them, and then bring them back. And that's how the you know, that, that was the smart strategy that the Chinese have run. But now they've, they've upgraded the strategy and they're target, targeting our most sophisticated national labs. Well, if you want to see the actual documents, if you want to see the actual numbers, it's at openthebooks.com. You can also read Adam Angievsky's columns that he writes for Forbes. Adam, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Lars, thank you. Unbelievable. Now, tell me this. If you're an American taxpayer and you say we want to have the best of the best in terms of talent when it comes to making the kinds of uh, technology that will help protect this country, do you want to see China just openly ripping us off? And all they've got to do is send somebody over, say America will educate them. America will give them a paycheck. America will show them the keys to the secret labs. And then when they've got as much stored up as they want to have, then they'll just turn around and come back and China will be greater and America will be lesser. If that makes sense to any of you, I'd love to hear the naysayer call. Glad to get those calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get to your calls here in just a moment. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Now, I know that I get lots and lots of calls from people who say, well, you know, there may be a little bit of voter fraud here and there, but it's really kind of inconsequential. Let me tell you about a case just from this week. The brand new uh, governor-elect of Pennsylvania, he is currently the attorney general. His name is Josh Shapiro. He has just brought forgery charges against a Democrat campaign consultant by the name of Rasheen Cruz. And what Cruz did, and he did it in 2019, was he faked signatures from about 1,000 registered voters. Here's why. In that state, in the state of Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, uh, to get on the ballot uh, to, as a candidate, you have to get the signatures of a 1,000 registered voters. Now, if you're running for office, that should be relatively easy. If you're hoping to get a majority of the votes on Election Day, getting a 1,000 people over the course of a few weeks to sign a petition saying you ought to be on the ballot, that shouldn't be hard at all. But there's always a cheat to get around it if you don't want to do that kind of work. So now Josh Shapiro has brought charges against Rasheen Cruz because what he would do is when candidates would come to Rasheen Cruz, this is the case against him, and they'd say, I have to get a thousand signatures on a ballot or a thousand signatures on a petition to be able to get my name on the ballot. Cruz would gather up people in a hotel room to make the fake signatures. And apparently it worked for some time. And as Shapiro puts it, this arrest is an important reminder that interfering with the integrity of elections is a serious crime by soliciting and organizing the wide-scale forgery of signatures. The defendant undermined the democratic process, and Philadelphians have a right to a free and fair election. Okay, fine. So why is it that when the rest of us bring up issues like this? I mean, Shapiro is a Democrat. And Shapiro is the current attorney general of the state, and he just won election as governor of the state. Democrats will tell you all day long and twice on Sunday, oh, there's no voter fraud, or at least nothing on a significant scale. This guy was putting thousands of signatures on petitions to get people falsely on the ballot to run for office who were not qualified. If your state says to be able to get your name on an election ballot, you need to be able to get a thousand signatures. As I said, should be a fairly small order for you to go out and stand on a street corner or go to a shopping mall or stand outside of a church and gather signatures. Hey, I would like to run for office. Will you sign my petition? Get a thousand signatures. How hard could it be? No, no, there's a way to cheat around it. Now, the second thing I want to bring up is entirely different. As you may know, the elements in your catalytic converter on your car are worth a lot of money. There are some rare materials in there, and catalytic converters are not cheap. They can cost even a few thousand dollars for a catalytic converter. So thieves have been running around with a sawzall, crawl under your car, and literally less than a couple of minutes saw off that catalytic converter. Then they go to sell it. Thing is, catalytic converters, most of them, do not have any kind of serial number on them. Now, should they have a serial number? Yeah, sure. It sounds like a good idea. Will putting a serial number on something prevent the thieves from trying to steal it? I don't think so. I mean, cars have a VIN number on them, and cars are stolen by the tens of thousands in America. But the latest bright idea, 
and it comes from a couple of different members of Congress, including Senator Ron Wyden, is they're going to solve the catalytic converter problem, a theft problem, uh, by requiring that there be a serial number on all the catalytic converters. Now, even assuming that they get this through on Capitol Hill, when it takes effect, let's say it takes effect next year, and all the car companies and the companies that make catalytic converters have to start putting a serial number on the catalytic converter. So sometime in the future, you know, the average car in America is 13 years old. That means there are a lot of cars on the road that are 20 years old. And those that have catalytic converters, there are no serial number on them. And then you ask yourself this, how much is that going to get in the way? And yet, Senator Wyden says the theft of catalytic converters hurts the pocketbooks of working families. He's absolutely right. He says by strengthening local law enforcement's ability to locate stolen car parts, we'll be one step closer in the fight to end catalytic converter theft. Why? Because in the next year or two or three, all new catalytic converters will have a serial number on them, and that's going to slow the thieves down? As I said, I don't think so. To your calls. Let's go first to Sean. Hey, Sean, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, I was sitting on a couple points you had earlier with that union rep and uh, Colorado lowering the taxes. Um, she might, uh, hopefully she's listening. Uh, it doesn't matter how much more money you get for most most likely millennials and uh, uh, Gen Z. Um, until, we, until we get our... Uh, we get the politicians out of our pockets it's, it's never going to fix itself i uh, i was i was kind of wondering because i heard bill london say something about the new tax in oregon coming up in january on uh it's basically what i heard was a one percent annual fee for taxpayers to pay for the uh for the I'm not sure which tax that is, but I'll tell you what. I'll send Bill London, who's a friend of mine, I'll send him a note, and I'll find out which tax he was talking about. fact is, Americans would love to have a flat tax. Get rid of this complicated system. Get rid of 90,000 pages of IRS regulations and just have everybody pay the same amount so everyone has skin in the game. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, Click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and it's my pleasure to be with you. And we serve the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. And if you want to join the conversation, it's easy to do. Just dial me at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers, of course, go right to the head of the line. If you'd rather email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you'd like to vote in our Twitter poll, you can find the question every day at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or at LarsLarson.com. Should Northwest states pull their investments out of the oil business? I would say no. Sounds like a money-losing proposition for the taxpayers, just so that the folks in elective office can look as though they're woke and green and all that good stuff. It's a pleasure to welcome to the program Washington State Senator Perry Dozier, Republican serving District 16. Senator, good to have you on. Nice to be here again, Lars. Thank you very much for this opportunity. 
Well, let me start with that one. The Twitter poll that we asked is actually based on something that's happening in Oregon where the state treasurer says, we're going to decarbonize our state investments. Now, Washington State also has billions of dollars invested for public pensions. And when money isn't immediately being used for a state program, they generally put it in some kind of investment account so that it has some earnings. Uh, Oregon says, we're going to get all the oil stocks out of that. I think that's a terrible idea because it sounds like they're going to give up earnings they could make because of the evil fossil fuel business, which, frankly, all of us depend on, including state government. Should Washington state pull that same kind of nonsense if they haven't already? No, I tell you, a lot of the things that we're seeing is just uh, kind of like that. When you look at uh, uh, capital uh, or the cap and tax and what we're trying to do there, um, and you're right. If we're getting out of the fossil fuel business, how are we going to continue to generate revenue? Uh, one of the big things that, that we get is is the revenue from uh, the uh, fuel, and but we're taking it out. So how are we going to do that? Yeah, and in fact, if you want to get out of the fossil fuel business, have the state simply forgive all gasoline and diesel taxes. I think most Ameri- most uh, most Washington, I know I could get behind it. When I fill up my car, I'd rather pay it without the taxes going to Olympia, and I'll bet people in Oregon would as well. Let me ask you about a second major issue, though, and that is the 46-cent okay. cap-and-tax uh, scheme that yeah. goes into effect. I, I swear, Senator, most of the people who listen to this show, I've been talking about this thing for well over a year, or you know, going all the way back. Uh, to the beginning of this year, and I've said, look, January 1, this increase is going to hit. Are you ready for it? And I've found over the years that oftentimes people don't actually react to stuff like that until they actually pull up to the pump and say, who just made gas half a dollar a gallon more expensive? And say, well, Jay did that, and we've been telling you about it for months. Is there anything we can do to block that, especially since it appears that America is headed toward a recession, whether it's a big one or a small one, we don't know. But if we're heading into a recession and now we're going to jack up fuel costs by almost half a dollar a gallon, uh, that's going to hit people hard. I don't know that we can actually do anything to block it. And this is something, Lars, that we had talked about during the course of the time that we were discussing this bill with cap and tax and and the impact that it is going to have. It's uh, also not only cap and tax, but you got to look at the low carbon fuel standards. That's another one that's going to add um, probably another 40, 50 cents a gallon on to uh, the cost of our fuels. And this is something that the public totally didn't uh, recognize, I think, during this course of the elections, exactly what's happening with the legislation that has been passed the last two years by the Democrat majority. And it's going to start having its effect on all of us here in 2023. I mean, not only do you have the cap and tax adding up the cost of fuel, you're going to have long-term care that's going to come back in that's going to cost you. You're going to have capital gains that's going to cost you. There are so many things that, that the citizens of this state totally forgot about when they went to the ballots and voted this last November. The other issue I wanted to put in front of you, and that is hard drugs. Now, Oregon legalized hard drugs through a public vote. Washington got it because of a flawed court decision. Then the legislature refused to do anything meaningful about it. Is there any chance of helping to fix that? Because it's literally killing Washingtonians right now. 
and it's causing a lot of the crime problems. I think uh, hard drugs and their sale and the cartels and everything else and the gangs uh, are a big driver of a lot of the violent crime that's happening in the Evergreen State. So does the legisl- do legislators plan to do anything about that? Well, we need to do something about it. You know, the Blake decision, when it came about, uh, I, I can't remember what year it was, if it was two years ago or more. I it was two. But um, when we were uh, in the Senate, we knew we couldn't get the felony conviction back on, so we were able to go through the Senate and get a gross misdemeanor. And then when the bill went to the House, um, it was went down to just a misdemeanor and came back and was passed as a misdemeanor. But definitely something has to be done, because I believe that when we go into this next legislative session, um, we have to either fix what happened or potentially we will be like Oregon. Yeah. And, and is that going to happen? Are your Democrat colleagues going to even allow a vote on that? Because even if they decide not to fix it, I'd love to see you force them, uh, you know, whether it's from the bully pulpit or whatever, if you don't have the majority to be able to force them, uh, you know, say, look, we got to vote on this thing and tell the voters this is the citizens. This is what we're not going to do so they understand where to place the blame. This is what we have to do when we go back into session in January is is get out there in front of these issues and be vocal about exactly what is going to happen if this goes into legislation, goes beyond, and what it is doing. You're absolutely right. What's going on with the drug overdoses and with just all of this rapid drug use that's going on, um, we have to do something about it or we're going to just keep spiraling down um, in, into the abyss of where we're kind of almost headed right now with uh, – um, with law enforcement that we, we you know, did a lot of uh, uh, changes with law enforcement the last uh, uh, session, too. So we've got to do some changes or things are going to be really tough for and us. And that's not going to get fixed either, is it? Uh, we sure tried last year. I know we're going to keep pushing for I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. For this year, and that was one of the messaging that we had. Not only was it for tax relief, but um, fixing the law enforcement bills that came through, But uh, we have a lot of work to do as we get into this next session. And, you know, we're no stronger than what we were last, uh, last session. 
Yeah, sadly, because you said, as you said, the the voters really didn't get the message. Senator Dozier, I appreciate the time. That's Senator Perry Dozier, who represents uh, District 16, the Columbia and and Walla Walla counties. And he is a Republican. I'd love to hear the Democrats on this. I'd love to ask them the same set of questions. But I suspect they're not going to be willing to let me do that. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. I get a lot of calls and emails saying, why doesn't Donald Trump just go away? I want to give you a few thoughts on that coming up in just a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. We will abolish every Biden COVID mandate and rehire every patriot who was fired from our military with an apology and full back pay. That's right. That was Donald Trump the other night in which he announced on the 15th of November his run for president in 2024. And this is the Lars Larson Show. I'll be glad to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment. But I want to give you a couple of thoughts about Donald Trump's announcement, which I talked about the day after, but also about the reaction of American voters, because there's a strange thing going on. In any case, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I would divide the responses I've had over the last couple of days to the idea of Donald Trump running for president in 2024 into two broad categories. Now, one of them has to be the, I wish he'd just go away. Now, that includes the media it includes the democrat party it includes the establishment wing of the republican party and it includes some citizens who are not that deeply involved in politics at all it also includes a number of people like this one howard harriman wrote to me i don't know mr harriman but he wrote and i thought he made a good point he said look lars the trump bashing has to stop all across the board on shows on radio stations and on talk radio If Donald Trump steps out of line, as in Ron DeSantis' case, well, then okay. But piling on for no reason just makes me want to turn off the radio. Two different shows on the same day talked about how old Trump will be in 24. Okay, sure, that's a factor. But not one of them even bothered to talk about the cognitive issues and make any comparisons. And one of the reasons I started with that soundbite, if you sat and listened to the entire speech, as I did, And then I went back and read the transcript of the speech, as I did. If you bothered to do that, and not just heard the announcement that Donald Trump's going to run for president, and you thought, oh, no, no, no. Because I think what most Americans are reacting to, the news media made Donald Trump's term as president chaotic and disturbing. And the FBI made it chaotic and disturbing. And the Democrat Party made it chaotic and disturbing because... Donald Trump came into office and he was immediately hit with attempts to torpedo his administration. They went after General Mike Flynn and, in fact, indicted him. The indictment's now gone and threatened his family. Now, is that the way we play politics these days to say if we don't like somebody and the ideas he's bringing, we're going to go after him personally. We'll go after his family. We'll go after everybody who works for him. So that's what most Americans, I think, are reacting to. They're saying if Donald Trump becomes president again, we're going to go right back to that kind of chaos. Of course, we'll also likely go back to the kind of good efforts that were made by the president and the good results he produced. I would merely remind you to think back to three years ago. 
and say, were things going pretty well? I mean, until the pandemic hit from China. And I think Trump took the right actions in response to that. We had low unemployment. We had a vigorous economy. We had a lot of new businesses starting. We had people doing the things that Americans would like to do. They want to earn work. They want to earn a living. They want people to be responsible. And they want to be able to go on about their lives. Trump was all about that. Now, ask yourself what's been happening in the last two years under Joe Biden. We've got massive increases in energy. We've got gigantic gasoline prices. We've got inflation that we haven't seen in 40 years in this country. We've got the prospect of nuclear Armageddon. And if you don't believe me, it's Joe Biden who used that term himself, nuclear Armageddon. We've got the possibility of a war with China. We've got a a commander-in-chief, a president of the United States, who doesn't seem capable of even reading what's on the teleprompter, who literally has to have notes saying, you enter the room, you turn to your right, you greet so-and-so, you sit down. I mean, this guy has to have every single bit of his life outlined for him. They even tell him who he's allowed to answer questions from and what the questions will be and what the answers will be. And then I saw this piece by my friend Steve Moore. I haven't talked to Steve in a while. He's an economist by training. But he says, look, many have decisively turned against Donald Trump, given his behavior and antics since he lost the 2020 election. We understand why. Steve and I have different views of Donald Trump. He said Trump is and always has been his own worst enemy, and he may be too toxic to win in 2024. But he said, we don't take sides in political races. We just remind people there's a good Trump and a bad Trump. And on Tuesday, the night he announced, we saw emerge for the first time in a long while the return of the good Trump. Even his fiercest critics have to acknowledge the speech was a strong performance. His message was simple and straightforward. He drew a contrast between the direction of the country when he was president and the dismal direction of the country today. He systematically highlighted the success of his policies on the economy, on education, on China, crime, the border, taxes, inflation, energy, the vaccine, the nation's security, the advancement of Hispanics and blacks, competence, small business, deregulation, America's standing in the world, and reducing poverty. Now, Moore sums it up, the economist, uh, good friend of the show, by the way, The case for Trump can be summarized in one statistic. Under Obama and now under Biden, one in three Americans have rated the economy as good or great. One out of three. Under Trump, two out of three Americans rated the economy as good or great. Many Republicans, writes Steve Moore, would like Trump to go away. But the reality is he isn't going to. So let's have a robust and feisty primary season starting about nine months from now. Put all the wannabes on the big stage and see how they perform. As Steve writes, we love Ron DeSantis, although we think a coronation is extremely unwise. We love Kim Reynolds. We love Christy Noem. We love Tim Scott and Glenn Youngkin. What a field of powerhouses and what a contrast to the Democrats where the cupboard is truly bare. And here's the most important point. It is fair game for the growing ranks of never-Trumpers to attack Trump's behavior and his polarizing antics and the chaos. But it is vitally important for the future of our country and our prosperity that the spectacular success of Trump's Put America First policies were laid out on Tuesday night. Whoever the Republican nominee turns out, he should pledge or she should pledge, as far as policy is concerned, to pick up right where Donald Trump left off. And I would agree with that as well. Let's go to your calls. Richard, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? 
Yeah, uh, two things, really, Lars. I, I've been coming to you quite a bit. I'm sure you recognize my voice so far with the SBF and the FTX situation going on right now. Sam Bankman, um, Fried, and FTX. Yep. You better get to your point, though, because yeah. we're going to hit the break. Yeah. Um, did you know that his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, uh, Caroline, was the CEO of Almedia? Uh, Alameda, other, Alameda uh, Trading uh, Group, the place yeah. where he, he took the money yeah. from FTX. Uh, yes, I did. And we talked about yeah. it on the air. Her, her, her father is the, the head uh, professor at MIT. Now, Jerry Ginsler used to be underneath him. And Gensler's well, with the, the Securities and Exchange Commission. You're going to have to knit this one yeah. together, Richard. Otherwise, people aren't going to catch the connections. I can do some of it for you, but I can't do it all for you. Last comment? Okay, no last comment. Glad to have your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get back to your phone calls and emails in just a moment. You know, one of the big mistakes I make, and I've made it a few times, uh, more than a few times, I guess, if I'm honest about it, is that I will talk to people, and there'll be guests on the show, and, uh, and I'll figure, well, yeah, we should reschedule him in another six months or nine months or a year. And to a certain extent, I just assume that some of these great guests are always going to be around. And I will admit that one of the people that I always thought of that way was the great late P.J. O'Rourke, who was one of the funniest guys I've ever talked to. Very smart on politics, had such a wonderful resume. And then I got the news that he was gone. And so I thought, well, I need to talk to somebody about his book, a posthumous book. And I don't know how often that happens called The Funny Stuff. Well, Morgan Entrican is a publisher, editor, and longtime friend of P.J. O'Rourke uh, and a political satirist himself. Uh, Mr. Entrican, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lars. I'm happy to be here. I'd love to have P.J. O'Rourke's newest book, his posthumous book, actually have the same kind of success that his other books did because I thought the guy was absolutely brilliant, both about humor and about politics. So help me tell my audience about P.J. O'Rourke, especially for those who, who may not be familiar with him, and about, uh, about this latest book that came out after his passing. Well, you know, um, P.J. started the National Lampoon and then moved to being a freelance writer and was at Rolling Stone. He replaced Hunter Thompson, which always amazed me that Jan Winter would hire P.J. to follow Hunter. But I think he liked the, even though he didn't agree with P.J.'s politics, he liked the kind of gonzo humor. Um, and then, you know, we did 21 books together over however many years it was. He published the first one in 1981. And what P.J. and I always discussed was, let's go pull together all the great quotes and riffs. Because not only did he do great one-liners, he, he did wonderful riffs that he would construct with great care and that would, you know, deliver with a bang. Um, among the Euro weenies is one, the great riff on rented cars. Uh, I mean, you want me to read one? Of like, Yeah. So, give right, here, give my audience a sample because PJ always brought a smile to my face. And believe me, I read plenty and I read plenty yeah. and I do read some good political humor. But PJ was at the top of my list. Yeah, well, so here's a piece from the National Lampoon, How to Drive Fast on Drugs and Get Your Wing-Wang Squeeze and Not Spill Your Drink. And he says, there's a lot of debate about what kind of car handles best. Some say a front-engine car. Some say a rear-engine car. I say a rented car. You can go faster, turn corners sharper, and put the transmission into reverse while going forward at a higher rate of speed in a rented car than in any other kind. 
You can also park without looking, and you can use the trunk as an ice chest. A rented car is an all-terrain vehicle. Mud, snow, water, woods, you can take a rented car anywhere. True, you can't always get it back, but that's not your problem, is it? So, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you know, he did the same thing with sort of riffs on, on, you know, Social Security. It's like Social Security is a government program with a constituency made up of the old, the near old, and those who hope or fear to grow old. After 215 years of trying, we have finally discovered a special interest that includes 100% of the population. Now we can vote ourselves rich. That's from Parliament of Horrors, his classic book on government. No, PJ was absolutely brilliant, and I was so sorry to see him go so fast. And also, I have to tell you, uh, Mr. Hendrick, and I haven't talked to you before, but one of the times that PJ was on this show, he described how he basically saved his own life by instead of staying in New York City on the weekends with the rest of the National Lampoon crowd, uh, most of whom are, are you know people with names that you'd recognize, and uh, sadly, many of whom are no longer around because of their partying activities that ultimately led to their early demise. He instead went up and, and spent his time fixing up a house north of New York City uh, that was, I think, the place where he finally uh, went, to, went to God. And, 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 and I admired that, the guy who could say, I'm not going to stick around and party with all these folks, even though that'd be a lot of fun because I've, I've got some work to do. Yeah, no, I think also he kind of saw through the superficiality of the fast lane in New York. And, you know, even though he, he did enjoy Washington for a few years uh, because it was just there were so many easy targets down there, um, he really loved New Hampshire. And, and he, he just he liked it, you know, because of the fact that it was a real community and that he loved getting on his bushwhacker or whatever he called his tractor and, you know, driving all around his, <laughs> the hillside and chopping down weeds and trees and bush. But um, I think it was healthy for him to get away from it and to be outside of it. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he did. He escaped that uh, trap. And he still managed to turn out a lot of great humor, even though, I mean, it, Look, to a certain extent, some of what I do, I immerse myself in whatever is going on in the day's news. And if you if you take yourself away from that, if you go out in the woods and go hunting for the weekend, which I do from time to time, uh, then you removed your you remove yourself from the place where most of your inspiration comes from. But somehow PJ managed to get inspiration even in uh, the placid communities in, in New Hampshire. Well, but, yeah, you also, Lars, for years, he did go out and do reporting on the ground. You know, that first Holidays in Hell book that we did was from his, you know, he would go to hot spots and trouble spots and, you know, try to figure out what's up. And uh, uh, I think he finally, as he got, you know, we got married and had, became a dad, uh, he got, he, and he aged out a little bit, as, as all sort of correspondence, war correspondence and disaster correspondence do. So, uh, you know. So he did. He didn't just stay isolated up there in New Hampshire uh, for the first couple of decades. But yet, in the last 10, 15 years, you know, he would uh, he, he liked being at home. Now, was he working on this book with the idea in mind that it would probably come out after he was gone? No, no. He, he and I had discussed doing this for about 20 years. In 1987, Penguin in the U.K. did a Penguin's collection of modern humorous quotations. And P.J. had more entries than any living writer. And, and as I always say, and he also went on to write another, lots of more funny stuff for the next 35 years. 
So I kept saying to him, you know, PJ, we should just do this as a collection. So I came up with the idea after it passed away, PJ would have turned 75 on Monday, the, November 14th. And so I mentioned it to his pals, Terry McDonald, who was a great magazine editor, was, was at Rolling Stone when they brought PJ in, and Chris Buckley, who I'm sure you know, who was a great pal. And Chris said, yeah, I'll write the introduction. And Terry said, I'll do the edit. And so I, I got together, you know, some older friends and then some younger staff members and said, let's go through the, all the books and let's pull out and make a collection. So PJ, he, we had talked about doing it, but, um, but he wasn't involved in doing it because he went so quickly. I mean, the books that we were talking about doing and the fact that he was working on was he wanted to do the story of America through his hometown, Toledo, Ohio. And he, the working title was uh, A History of Toledo, Ohio, From the Beginning of Time Till the End of the Universe. But sadly, that will never exist. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that as well. You've been in the publishing business a long time, haven't you? 46 years, yeah. Grove Atlantic, it's, it's got to be one of America's older publishing companies, isn't it? Yeah, well, the, the Atlantic Monthly Press part was founded in 1917 out of the magazine, and then the Grove Press part founded in 1947 uh, and was sort of the avant-garde experimental, you know, since battling censor, censorship battles in the 60s and 70s, and we combined them, my partners and I, in 93. So we are one of the last mid-sized independent publishing houses, and what keeps us going is is the fact that we have a big catalog that goes back years of almost 3,000 titles. And, of course, wow. writers like PJ, who stuck with us. I mean, we Parliament of Wars became number one bestseller, as did Give War a Chance, and the books you know, sold around the world and continue to backlist, and, you know, new fans come to them all the time. And, and one of the pleasures of doing this book was I had a lot of young people here who, you know, most of them aren't really aligned politically with PJ, but they, they, they discovered him by going through these books. And I was, I was very surprised that, that they, you know, didn't really have a lot of problems with the humor because... I've got a break. Morgan Entrican is the publisher, editor, and longtime friend of the late P.J. O'Rourke, his latest and his last book, The Funny Stuff. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. I don't think I have the skill or the talent or the patience to try to translate Joe Biden, but welcome back to the program on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And don't forget, every week on Fridays, we celebrate First Amendment Friday. That's when we open up the phone lines and every subject is fair game. In the meantime, if you'd like to join in the best conversation, and I will get to calls here in a moment, at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment is brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. Our Twitter poll today should Northwest states pull their investments in the oil business? That is precisely what the state treasurer, in this case in the state of Oregon, has announced that the state will divest itself of all the holdings in fossil fuel companies. This is about $90 billion in state funds. And Treasurer Tobias Reed says he is going to shift away from fossil fuel companies. In other words, he's going to give up some of the profits that they would have made on behalf of public employees. He's also going to do it at the expense of taxpayers because if, and I should rather say when, the state pension fund runs short of paying the pensions because it's about $50 billion in the red, you know who has to make up the difference? That would be the taxpayers. So when somebody like Tobias Reed says, I'm going to 
deliberately pass on profits that could be made on the monies invested to fund public pensions, he's, he's simply setting up taxpayers to have to make up the difference. And all of this because he doesn't like fossil fuels? If he doesn't like fossil fuels, and I know there are people listening to this show who don't like fossil fuels, then give up your own fossil fuels. Walk over to the thermostat and turn your thermostat down to 60 degrees right now in mid-November. Do that because the electricity you're getting is 20% coal. It is about 10 or 20% natural gas. Give up all that evil fossil fuel. And by the way, don't get in your car and drive anywhere because that's also fossil fuel. And don't use anything in your home that is made from oil or petrochemicals uh, because all of that is fossil fuels as well. To your calls now. And by the way, if you want to vote in the Twitter poll, at Lars Larson Show, and brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services, if you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Thomas, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind today? How's it going, Lars? I appreciate well, everything sir. you do here. Thank you. Um, I just had a quick comment because I was thinking about this Measure 114, and it's funny to me that for the past three, four years, the, the left has had that agenda that we hate cops and cops don't have enough training to do what they need to do. But yet here we are going to need to rely on the police to give us training to buy a pistol. <laughs> yep. Now we're going to have to do that, except the left doesn't want you to do that either because an armed oh, no. person is a citizen and a disarmed American is a subject. Do you feel like you want to be a subject, or would you rather be a citizen? I feel like I'll be moving out of state. <laughs> well, and sadly, I'll tell you something. I'm going to talk more about it tomorrow. The University of Washington, which is not exactly a conservative organization, right? It's a very, very liberal public mm -hmm. university in Seattle. They've just released a report. And let me ask you if this doesn't give you a litmus test. What they did at the UW is they took data from the 2019, so it's only three years old, pretty new on, in terms of data. Data you never get up to the last you know, 10 minutes or so. Right. Um, the National Firearms Survey shows the number of adults in America who carry a loaded handgun on a regular basis between 2015 and 2019. That's five years. In that period of time, the number of people who carry a loaded gun doubled in this country. Now, does that tell I you... Believe it some of where Americans are coming from. They view a gun as a way to protect themselves and other people. They view it as like wearing a seatbelt, like the way I view it, that if you ever really, really need one and you don't have one, you'll probably never need one again. And they voted exactly. with their actions. This isn't just saying, do you want to have the right to own a gun? And people can say intellectually, they say, yeah, I want to have the right. I may or may not exercise it. This is the people who are actually exercising the right on a regular basis has doubled in America in just a five-year period. Yep. It's part of my daily routine, and none of my guns have done anything to anyone. So. And none of mine have but. either. And by the way, any I have a gun accessible to me all the time when I'm home. When I leave home, yep. unless I'm going somewhere where I'm not allowed to carry a federal building, uh, getting on an airplane to go somewhere and where I cannot legally carry, I don't carry. Every other time, I carry. And and why is that? Exactly. Because I, I think it's a sensible thing to do. And yet you've and got... Because you can as an American. 
Right. And and to some extent, people have said, why do you need this or why do you need that? And the problem with that question is that when somebody says, why do, why do I need to get on the radio and speak my piece? Well, part of it's my job, but part of it is because I want to be able to voice my opinion. And who says I have an absolute right to do it, even if I am offending, if I offend some people with it? Why, the U.S. Constitution says God gave me that right, and the Constitution says government can't take it away. If you ask somebody, why do you, why do you need to go to church? I have a right to practice my faith. And the right comes from God and is protected by the Constitution. And he- I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Beyond that, I could give you some justifications for why I need to have a gun. I think it's sensible, and only a fool walks around in this kind of society without some way of protecting himself. You've got the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.